0: Uh... <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome to The JLA Cast, a podcast in which we explore life in the time of Grant Morrison across the DC Universe and beyond. My name's John and I'm the writer and creator of After I
2: Think. And I'm PJ and I'm the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. And um, full disclosure, I've already warned PJ, I am
1: not recording in my normal location, which tends to feature a lot of soft furnishings i'm in my parents uh, kitchen because i am dog sitting for them so
2: if there's any weird echo uh, it, it, it's, it's because of that basically and i'm hoping the dogs put in an appearance on the podcast
1: yes i have two i have two small dogs who right now are beside the kitchen table in baskets this is real pj this is as real life as <laughs> as podcasts can get with men of the people uh, and I, I'm hoping they'll stay
2: quiet. Genuinely, I my next door neighbours have have dogs, and they'll they'll go out in the garden and do some barking and stuff, as dogs are wont to do, which is for absolutely fine. Love dogs, no problem with that. <laughs> but very occasionally, the dogs are outside while I'm recording my other podcast, The Measure of a Fan, the Star Trek one. and sure. They bark loud enough that next door's garden downstairs, my microphone up here picks it up, and so the next door neighbours' dogs have appeared on my Star Trek podcast.
1: So why don't the dogs normally bark when we're recording the JLA cast?
2: I think we're usually recording JLA cast earlier in the day, than I record oh. Measure of a Fan. That's usually an evening thing, um, and evening is when they let them out into the garden. Yeah, I see.
1: Yeah, we. Uh, I uh, you know just just to show, but it's not all kind of like you know tights and super heroics around here. Uh, I was woken at 3am and 5am by our beloved cat, who uh, is a constant delight and uh, just makes life livable. I I love him. I love him
2: so much, PJ. Love him so much. One of our cats did that to us this week as well. Woke us up at 5am by vomiting and shitting in the bedroom. It's like,
1: (laughs) I mean, lest anybody think
2: that the life of a
1: podcast host is, is nothing but glamour. I mean, (laughs) we're just
2: normal people too.
1: (laughs) Uh, And, and, uh, I mean, um, your your dedication pj uh, you're, i i'm holding a copy of final crisis right now what uh, I, I i know and and, and i want to commend you in advance for coming so close to final crisis after,
2: you know given it it was something you swore you'd never do on air well i'm i'm not going to do the main final crisis series <laughs> um and you know what i oh, but okay I said I wasn't going to buy the Final Crisis trade just to get Superman Beyond. I'll go back to Comicsology and get the two issues there. Cost me about £3 for both issues. But oh my God, I wish I'd just bought that trade because Comixology is basically unusable nowadays. It's awful. I hate it so much. I think it it affected my reading experience and my therefore my opinion of this comic. That's oh, how bad really? Comixology is now, I think. So Can I...
1: Can I so, um... Just to get into the nitty gritty of it, like be, you know, the 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 browser based purchase stage
2: or the app based reading stage. The app based reading stage, although the browser based purchase stage wasn't great, trying to find what I wanted on Amazon rather than having the dedicated Comicsology store. Um, but yeah, the the reading stage, just getting Comicsology up and running was a faff. And now when I read, I can swipe like three or four times before it turns the page, and yeah, it's it's awful. If so, uh, I flip it so it's landscape for a double-page spread, it, it freaks out. And, it yeah, this used to work. That's genuine, what really annoys me. Question. It used to work just fine. Yeah, genuine question. Are you using an actual Comixology app or are you using the Kindle app? I'm using the Comixology app. I've never ah, had right. the Kindle app on my uh, my devices.
1: Yeah, I don't know why. For some reason, I... Because
2: uh, I used to use Comixology a
1: bunch mm. way back when. You know, before the dark times. I used to use it a lot. I
2: discovered a ton of comics. Amazing comics on Comixology. It seemed really cool. Yeah, the, um, the free comics, the sales. You'd get so much good stuff on Comixology. Yeah, like I, I
1: discovered like uh, when Image was having that kind of renaissance about like 10 years ago. It was so, they did like a Image issue one kind of giveaway sort of thing. Like you get profit, you could get... Um, glory like a ton of like really mm. cool and weird comics um and then of course you know the dark times hit i stopped using it and i've re-downloaded well what's weird is that i started using what i thought was Comicsology again as part of the podcast and picking up these more obscure issues but for some reason i went straight to the amazon
2: kindle app and i don't know why i did that I'm gonna. I'm. I'm downloading the Kindle app now to see if that is any better. Because otherwise, I'll get frustrated mid-episode with not being able to turn a page, and we can't have that. Yeah, I think to be honest, it could have just been like kind of user error on my
1: part. Because I, I think I. Because obviously, there's this ridiculous situation now where you have to obviously log into. Ah no, I think I it, isn't it? You. Oh no, maybe I'm the idiot because it. Because it, 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 it. Comicsology got kind of rolled into, Kindle... Direct publishing for like self publishing didn't (coughs) because Comixology Submit no longer exists, that got rolled into Amazon KDP. So, I think when I went to purchase some of these digital copies, I went to the Amazon store, purchased the digital edition, which then turned up in the Kindle app, which I had to download. So, for some reason, I think I just conflated comicsology just being part of amazon now in my head so yeah i
2: think i'm now i'm saying it out loud i might be an idiot but maybe i got a better user experience i don't know well i've just downloaded the kindle app um (laughs) the two superman beyond issues are the only comics that are showing on there that are available to me whereas i've got so many more on the actual comicsology app so i don't know how you sort that out but let's see if that makes for a better reading experience
1: I'd have to imagine they're running off the same technology.
2: Uh, it's actually very slightly smoother already on the page oh, okay. turns. So yeah, okay. I'll, I'll do that. There we go. I'm on the Kindle app now. Jesus. So, uh,
1: Bravo, Amazon. You 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 purchased and gutted uh, a thing,
2: which was <laughs> it was quite good for a while. It was. I loved Comixology. It was how I was buying more comics than anywhere else and then yeah. genuinely Amazon buying it and ruining it is what stopped me buying monthly comics.
1: Well, to be honest, it, it kind of changed. I don't know. I don't want to say anything too grandiose, but I think it kind of changed the way a lot of indie publishers were mm. were getting their books out there because um, I, I had a relatively good thing going on Comicsology Submit. You know, it wasn't like we're doing crazy numbers, but after I think I got that onto Comicsology quite early on in in the grand scheme of things, and I think it benefited from being one of the early titles on the series, and uh, on the platform. And then when they um, scrapped the Comicsology submit platform, they were like, "Hey, congrats! You now have the option to go and start from scratch on Kindle Direct Publishing." No. Oh. Good. And Yay. and we're not gonna we're not gonna carry over any any likes any reviews any legacy. You'd just be starting from scratch. But congratulations, you're very lucky to have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, I can't be bothered. Like, really, it, it's not worth it. It's yeah, kind of sad. yeah,
2: it sucks. It's really stupid.
1: Which does make it all the more ironic. I think that Comicsology continues to sponsor like a big. Hall at Thought Bubble, does it not? Is there, there's often like the Comixology, Comixology Hall. Hall. Yeah,
2: yeah, and well, they yeah. used to have... Uh, during the Submit era, they ended Comixology Originals where they'd pick up mm. some of the Submit titles and publish them through comicsology, Like Joe A mutual Joe friend Glass, of ours. Yeah. yeah, The Pride. That was a comicsology Original for a while. And then when Amazon bought it, comicsology Originals stopped as well and they dropped all of those books.
1: The listener and you, PG, can't... PG, PG. 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 I am very PG rated today. Uh, I. Here's a PJ tip. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, that's, I made myself laugh there. That's quite sad. Uh, oh, I've, I've completely forgot what I was going to say. I've, I've made... Okay, okay. I apologize. I'm being a terrible, terrible host this morning. It can wait. It can wait. <laughs> on, on, on an unrelated... I'm going to save this, PJ. On an unrelated note, can I share a slightly sad anecdote? Oh, I love a sad anecdote. So, um, over 10 years ago... I want to say kind of like twenty twenty ten. Uh Lucy and I, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, uh, we had one of our first holidays together and we had a little getaway for a weekend up in York. Mm. And York had and continues to have a comic shop called Traveling Man. Yes. There are the Traveling Man's like a kind of independent chain in the UK. There's maybe like f- five or six kind of branches.
2: Yeah, I believe I think is there one in London? I think, and then the rest of them seem to be sort of fur- a bit further north. Yes, yeah, in the Badlands, uh, north of uh, Chester. Mm.
1: And uh, I remember in on that fateful trip, I found my copy of DC One Million. Oh, which, okay. Yeah, which was the big missing piece in my Morrison collection. Mm. Now, obviously, we've we've covered it on the show. I was glad to own it. It felt like a real a real. You know, oh, my God, I can't believe I found this. So we popped into Travelling Man. And, you know, I was like, oh, seeing as we're up here, we'll pop in. And I thought to myself, you know what? We've been talking about doing JLA year one. Uh, I've talked about how uh, you can't find the trade on most conventional sellers. You can get secondhand copies, which I think is what I'm going to have to do. But I thought, you know, I bet that Travelling Man, like any kind of well-stocked comic shop, would probably have some classic JLA graphic novels. And I have to say, the difference in, what, 12, 13 years was Mm. kind of astonishing. Because, yeah, when I went in in 2010, they had all the JLA graphic novels from this era. So, you know, everything from the Morrison run up to, like, uh, you know, the Joe Kelly stuff. And, of course, I found DC 1 million, which was quite rare for me. (laughs) And now, going in 2023... I do not even think there was a new 52 graphic novel. Yeah, I think everything was post whatever the soft reboot was after New 52. I, and and again, this is I think this is maybe just a sign of getting old. You know, tastes change and they can't keep every possible graphic novel, but I did find it kind of shocking that there was not a single
2: Morrison era uh, jla graphic novel in the shop it was quite weird the same seems to be true in my local forbidden planet in cardiff i went in there the other day going oh just i'd browse graphic i haven't been in for a while i just browse the, the graphic novels and the vast majority of them were like collections of comics from the last two or three years there mm. was very little in there that was any older than that and if it was it was a new edition of those older comics i think it's the publishers don't seem to be so interested in keeping the older stuff in physical print anymore. I think they're sort of relying you on buying like that Marvel Unlimited subscription or whatever, you know? Mm. It,
1: it, it's funny though, because I, I guess like when I started going into comic shops, like in the UK avidly, uh, I was I was always more of a, a, a graphic novel collector than, a, than you know, the floppies, than, than the, the kind of monthlies. And for me, it seemed like um, I was trying to complete the like the Great American Library, in in a way, it's mm. like there were there were all these kind of titles of legend, for, which for me was like the, the Vertigo years, the British Invasion, uh, you know these these kind of pivotal books, which obviously we f- we made a whole podcast about, you know, uh, there's there's you get the 80s, you get a brief period in the mid 90s where there's nothing worth collecting, and then stuff starts getting interesting again, <laughs> and and these seemed. I guess this was kind of like mid-2000s, early 2000s when I, early 2000s onwards when I really got into this. So I guess like the books I was buying then, you know, you cast cast your eye backwards. They're from like a kind of 15, 20 year period before my purchasing habits. And times have moved on, I guess. Like, you know, it, it would have been, I guess, just as weird for me to go into a comic shop in 2000 and find a, oh, I don't know, like a, Trade from well, I don't know what would be an early trade like uh, maybe Crisis on Infinite Earths would have been a little rare back then. I don't know.
2: Well, it's it's, but that's how I filled the gaps in my knowledge for these characters. When I'd go in and to look for a trade to buy, I wasn't trying to buy something new. I was trying to buy something old. So, like. Late 90s, early 2000s, I was collecting the 90s Batman events in trade, so Nightfall mm-hmm. up to the end of No Man's Land, I, the Death of Superman, other Superman trades from the time, so Death of Clark Kent, um, Transformed, on Superman on Trial, things like that, or, you know, X-Men, loads of old X-Men stuff, Mutant Massacre, Fatal Attractions, the Asgardian Wars... You know, th- that's what I was looking for rather than the modern stuff, because most of the modern stuff I was sort of already buying as individual issues. Did it feel as though, you know, it's very easy in hindsight to look back on these, these
1: times and, you know, you try to imagine that they were significant moments worth reading up on. But I, it felt much the same. It felt like I was trying to, maybe like you, kind of learn this definitive history Mm. The these kind of pivotal moments like you know the moment i discovered morrison it then was like oh i have to track down all the morrison titles because these are big moments in comics i have to read all of sandman you know um you know for a good while i was trying to like avidly track down everything warren ellis had written you know that sort of thing like these were these were like just these great names in comics and i i, I do, you, do you think there's been like a kind of We've not had a big kind of earth-shattering reboot which would wipe all these kind of like sweep all these things under the carpet. But like, do do you think that post the the cinematic age, um, if you're an editor, if you're a publisher, is there less relevance for a of a graphic novel from the nineties than there is for, say, a more modern interpretation of the character? Because if you're trying to like, if someone likes the movies and wants to go by if someone likes the Justice League movie and wants to go buy a graphic novel, if you're a publisher, like, do you want them picking up, say, a Justice League graphic novel from the 90s? Or do you want them picking up like, a Justice League novel from the uh, 2010s? Because that's more relevant?
2: I think part of it as well, though, um, one of the big reasons for it, in my opinion, is stories in comics these days don't, seem to be built so much on older stories like in the 90s when the heyday of my reading period you look at things like Bu6 avengers was the lot of Bu6 avengers was built on avengers history the stuff that mm. had come before um you know all the yellow jacket stuff ultron um the black widow and and resolving some madam mask stuff and oh, all of yeah, that really it was God, all yeah. based off previous avenger stories um i think and and if you set up a mystery in a comic back in the 80s or 90s you wouldn't necessarily resolve it you just put it there and then it might be another like <laughs> look great example actually gambit gambit mm. is introduced in the pages of x men in like 1990 uncanny x men 260 something i think um, and there's mysteries around him, and then other writers come in and tease more stuff, and then suddenly, Uncanny X-Men 350, many, many years later, it's revealed that Gambit recruited the Marauders for the Mutant Massacre, an event that had happened like 15 years before in the comics, and that was loads of different writers and artists working on this character over a long period of time, and almost 100 issues plus of... of story over different comics before it was revealed. These days if a writer introduced Gambit they would be the same writer to reveal his secrets within the first year of his appearance. I think there's just a different way of doing these characters and stories now. I Yeah, it's I, I'm trying not to be too much of like grumpy old man about
1: it because you know, things change. That's that's just how it, it, it you know, how, how the world, world is. But it, it I did like that. I liked the idea that when I picked it up, when I picked up a book in the late 90s, early 2000s, it felt like I was plugging into something with a history. Mm. And I, I don't know if the correct word would be continuity because it was never a case that like you had, if I, did, if I picked up a book, it was like, oh God, I don't understand what's happening. Are you saying I have to read like 300 <laughs> previous issues to understand? No, it, it never felt like that. It It just felt like, you got to be witness to 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 a moment in these characters' lives. They had a life before you. They're going to have a life after you. But they they seemed real because you knew that like they'd had adventures long ago, and if you wanted to go explore, you could. And I mean, I think we've touched on this a lot, but it really does seem now that like that kind of long-term organic storytelling is maybe a bit outdated or is something to be avoided now?
2: Yeah, you know, you, you often get, as I say, a writer will come on a book to tell a complete story of that character and I feel like especially Marvel more, more, much more than DC but every, and when a new writer joins a book that's when they go back to an issue one again almost yeah. every time and you know, you're not they can barely reach double digits on comics these days, let alone a three digit you know, issue 100 of anything so... Yeah. Or was it um was it back in the day like that
1: the stakes were lower in a way because like the cinematic universe had, had didn't exist and Marvel had no idea how much money they could be making from movies like just insane amounts of money maybe that like that like comics were only ever going to be so popular so it's like well Let's just keep telling these long-form stories. Let's see what we can do. Let's just... Uh, oh, what, what are we going to do for the next couple of years with Superman? Oh, he'll be electric blue. Why not? You know, it's like... Just... Why not? These characters are evolving. And now it's like... Good God. We can make so much money. <laughs> uh, we 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 just want... We I don't know. Maybe they've seen how fly... How, how fly... How high they can fly. And now they're like... Oh, man. Like... We we have to be big. We have to be spontaneous. We have to be like these instant screenshotable moments. We can't do these long. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they're scared of failing now because they've
2: <laughs> they've reached high. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, it is what it is. And I don't know. I'm not saying it's better or worse. You know, the the, 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 the modern eras of comics have their fans because the comics are still being published. Clearly, but it's it's not my era anymore. That's all. And, you know, you grow out of things, and that is absolutely fine. And it's not a bad thing. It's just what it is. So I don't want to be out there having people thinking I'm putting down modern comics at all. I'm not. I'm just saying they're different, and they don't feel like they're quite for me anymore. And that's fine.
1: Yes, exactly. And uh, I I think um, we try very hard for this not to be the crotchety old man podcast. Yeah. uh, Yeah. It's... uh... And, you know, it, it everything goes around. You know, who knows? Maybe we'll see, like, a change again where fashions and storytelling styles change. But, yeah, I mean, hey, PJ,
2: we'll always have this podcast. Exactly. And, hey, if any listeners, like, who are currently reading modern comics can think of anything they'd like to recommend that say, well, maybe you should check this out, either from one of the big two publishers or an indie book or whatever, please do feel free to send me some recommendations. I love reading new comics that I haven't read before. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I am, I am, like...
1: I'm out of practice. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't read nearly as much as I used to. I mean, it's why um, the Morrison mop-up, this is, this is shameless branding now, BJ, it's mm-hmm. why the Morrison mop-up is so satisfying because it's forcing me to like, try new things, which is good.
2: Yeah, like I, I loved re- that one issue of Green Lantern, something I hadn't read before. Brilliant. And even though it's related to Final Crisis, I am incredibly curious about this Superman Beyond series. Obviously, I've now read the first issue. Uh, we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit. Um, I haven't read issue two yet, and I'm like, do you know what? Looking forward to reading issue two. It's a new Superman story for me. Great. Uh, PJ, before before we get
1: into that, should should we be very pop culturey? Should we should we address for pop culture news? Let's let's address the pop uh, the pop culture in the room. Now, there's there's of of the announcements from the new and improved, better than ever, totally doogs. It's going to be fine. DC cinematic universe Mm. there's one really one takeaway thing that i'd like to comment on but
2: uh, did anything like kind of grab your attention well i i think it was all very interesting um we're hitting a point in time where i am not up to date on dc movies by any stretch the most recent dc film i've watched i saw the batman um in the cinema because that was completely i knew it was going to be a completely separate thing so that was fine but in terms of the dc universe aquaman is the most recent film i've seen (laughs) um i I keep meaning to watch the others i just haven't had the time and they haven't interested me that much this has made me interested again these announcements Mm. but at a point in my life where i'm probably not gonna be able to get to the cinema quite as easily as i used to i think i am
1: like you know to say that i'm behind would be an understatement like i've seen a couple (laughs) <laughs> you know, uh, I saw the Suicide Squad, mm. and I really liked it. That's my review. I, I I thought it was very very good.
2: I I haven't seen it yet.
1: Um, the big, the big 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 thing for me, which came as quite a shock, was the announcement of an authority movie.
2: Yes. Yes, and I think what interested me about that as well is that they announced that the Superman movie that we're getting in 2025, Superman Legacy, which they said all the right things about, he's going to be an optimistic character, a good guy, yes, give me that Superman, but that's going to lead into the Authority movie somehow. Oh, did they? Mm. Oh, well, I'll tell you right off the bat then, PJ.
1: I have thoughts.
2: Oh, I'd like to hear them.
1: So, um... Oh God! How to unpack this? Um, okay, there was a time in my life when I loved the authority. Um, I, it kind of launched uh, the original, uh, the original, you know, run. Kind of launched at a similar time to Morrison's JLA. Yeah. Um, kind of I don't want to say pioneered, but maybe pioneered. Like, what do they call it? Like decompressed storytelling right very very cinematic um the idea that over four issues not much would actually happen but it would look amazing yeah um comics like movies basically and i i think there's a direct line from that to the cinematic universe Mm. of marvel and dc um i loved the authority i mean like god they were like they were swearing they were killing people Like, it hit me at a point in my life where I was like, oh my God, this is like, these are adult comics. Like, this is, this is you know, kind of edgy. The Authority series is quite uneven. Hmm. The original Ellis and Hitch stuff is, you know, very, very impactful. The Miller stuff, there was a time in my life where I was like, oh my God, this is so transgressive. It's incredible. And then you do look back on it a little bit now and you're like, ah, there's maybe a, a lot of needless shock value, hmm. sort of thing, but uh, then it goes off the rails, and then you get some nice stuff with Ed Brubaker and Dustin Nguyen, which is fantastic. <laughs> so yeah, so it was a series I really cared about, and if you had told me ten years ago that there is going to be an authority movie, yeah, I would have been overjoyed. Okay, I'd be like, oh my god, this will be tremendous. We're gonna see a like dark, gritty superheroes blowing up buildings, not really caring about collateral damage. For them, the ends always justify the means. It would be a really interesting exploration of what if incredibly powerful people were willing to do anything to, to, to reach their goals. Right. In today's world, PJ,
2: what, do, what is the point of that? Yeah, because we've seen that now. It it just sounds like Zack Snyder's DC movies, doesn't it? I know, I know. What's the point? But that said, I think there is a place with a better writer than Zack Snyder, a writer who understands words like subtlety and character development. You know, (laughs) that sort of story told... Within a larger DC universe, which features a more classic, more optimistic take on those heroes, I think there could be an interesting story in there. Now, see, they haven't announced who's working on most of this stuff. I think all we really know is that James Gunn is writing the Superman film. Mm. But you know, I, I think a lot of a lot of where they're going to go next depends on who they're bringing on board. Like I know one of the announcements was um, Swamp Thing, which is wild and incredibly exciting to me. <laughs> and then uh, James Mangold, who directed Logan, um, ah. just randomly the day after the announcements tweeted a without any context a Swamp Thing comic image. So everyone now thinks James Mangold's doing Swamp Thing, which I would be all on board for. Uh, did you? S- I-, I saw a very witty tweet where somebody said,
1: uh, now they're finally making a Swamp Thing movie, we should really ask Alan Moore what he thinks about superhero movies. I <laughs> bet he's got opinions. <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: good, I like that.
1: <laughs> Have you read a Superman one-off story, which I believe is called What's So Old-Fashioned About Truth, Justice, and the American Way?
2: Um, I'm trying to... I know of it. I'm trying to remember if I've actually read it or not and I genuinely can't remember.
1: It's included in one of the later JLA trades. Uh, so during the Joe Kelly and Doug Mank era on JLA, this mm. this series, uh, I think around the time they hit issue 100, which is obviously the continuation of from the Morrison run, um, they did uh, JLA versus the Elite. Yes. And it's, it's kind of just one of those weird things that only exists in comics where it's like The Authority was an incredibly popular comic. Mm. But the heroes, the point was, they were very morally grey and they would kill and cause... Well, frankly, they, did, they committed genocide on quite a few occasions to uh, save the world as yeah. they saw it. And then, of course, this raised questions about violent heroes. You know, should heroes kill and everything. There was a bit of a mild discussion about it. And was Superman starting to look a bit old fashioned. Mm. So Joe Kelly, I think it's Joe Kelly and Doug Mank, do a standalone big Superman story where Superman fights the elite who were the DC totally legally distinct versions of the authority. Yeah. And and the point is it's for clash of ideals where Superman is faced with characters who represent the exact opposite of what he's stands for, and how will their different how will their different ideologies kind of mesh or whatever and you know you see for a while I don't want to spoil it too much, but you see what would it be like if Superman became that, like if Superman just started killing because he could, yeah. And, and it's, 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 it's you know, it's it's a little fable. It's like a little kind of short, not too complex morality tale. And it makes me wonder what you said now, PJ, about how there's going to be an authority movie and it's going to lead into the Superman movie or
2: vice versa. Mm. I wonder if they're going to do a loose adaptation of that. Maybe. Maybe. I think I have read that one, yeah. And, yeah, I think it was pretty good. And I think that would be a very interesting take. Um I mean, they've said that, s- that while there's stuff coming out before it, the Superman movie is really the start of the new DC universe. Uh, so after that, what leading into the Authority, and then of course we get the new Batman movie. Like you've got the the El- they've got the Elseworlds projects, which at the moment are the Joker and the the Batman sequels. But then there's an in continuity Batman movie, which is going to feature Damian Wayne's Robin as well. So that's also very interesting.
1: Yeah. Wow. I mean, another another good. Good day for Morrison. Yeah. And of course, there's also in, I think, the last year or so, Morrison did a limited series called Superman and the Authority. Oh, yes, of course he did, yeah. Which I haven't read. It's a weird take on the Authority, though. It's got, like,
2: um, Natasha Irons as Steel on the team. And is it... I haven't read it either, so I don't know. But is it a different Superman? Because it's sort of... He's more in the Morrison early new 52 type costume where it's like a t-shirt isn't he but it's got like the kingdom come style superman logo on it i want to say
1: to be honest like the continuity is so messy like people are going to have a field day trying to make youtube explainer videos about this oh I'm, i'm sure
2: there are loads already
1: yeah it's like how do you explain to people that like no 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 it was the wild storm universe they weren't actually in the same universe then they got kind of rolled in during the new 52 but they weren't quite the same characters and now there's a universe in the dc multiverse which has dc legally distinct versions of the Wildstorm characters like it's a <laughs> i don't know what the hell's going on pj it's very confusing it is very confusing it really is uh intriguing though shall we say i i i am intrigued to see what comes of it
2: yeah me too me too and the fact that they are you know i think the fact that they've got james gunn running it who's obviously been in the mcu and sees how all of that stuff works and that they're sort of setting their stall out right from the off you know marvel with the mcu it was more a bit haphazard oh we'll do iron let's stick nick fury at the end of iron man and see what happens you know and then yeah. we'll do some other films, and we'll sort of work it out as we go. This very much is a plan from the start, which, you know, maybe Zack Snyder had as well, but his was a terrible plan. So, yeah, I'm really curious. I am really curious to see where all this goes.
1: Yeah. to be honest, like, James Gunn's got a pretty good track record. You know, he seems to actually understand character moments. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not saying he's, you know... A Messiah figure, but, you know, I'm willing to see what he could bring to the table and hopefully, you know, they'll assemble a team of interesting, talented filmmakers to, you know, kind of do something with it. That would be nice. (laughs) It's not too much to ask, is it? (laughs) Anyway, PJ, I just realised there's kind of a thematic segue because... What? The Authority, they lived in a 50-mile-wide spaceship called the Carrier, which could move between universes through the Bleed... And oh my, here's a multiversal story we're about to dive into. Oh my goodness, who could have seen that coming?
2: It certainly wasn't intentional, but it kind of worked out alright. Yeah, it did. It did. So, this issue, when I saw the cover, Superman Beyond Issue 1, I had a very sudden, strong flashback. So, I believe Final Crisis was coming out at a point where I lived with aforementioned mutual friend Joe Glass, where he and I were housemates, and I think he bought this comic. I didn't read it, but he bought it. Did it come with 3D glasses?
1: Yes. We probably should talk about that. Um, 4D vision, PJ. Yeah. That's what that's what we're experiencing here. 4D vision. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it was exclusively printed in. What do they call that? Is It's not like. Um, is it anamorphic 3D, where I it's don't like know. kind of green and red ink offset? Like, yeah. But the gimmick was meant to be that it was three-dimensional. Yeah. yeah. And it was released in, I want to say, 2008, 2009. That was like the original Final Crisis
2: run. Uh, October 08, according to the front cover on, on the version I'm looking at. Oh, that's good to know. Nice. Uh, I've got
1: betrayed here, so I am oblivious in that regard. <laughs> but yeah, but um, some... Uh, lovely artwork by Doug Mank, who uh I really came to appreciate through his work on JLA and yep. Seven Soldiers. Yeah, I, his, I really like
2: his JLA stuff.
1: It's fantastic. He's um he, he he his his artwork can tend towards the the grotesque mm. sometimes. Like he he's got like a a real attention to detail. Um And I think he himself has said, like he never imagined he'd end up drawing kind of like big heroic characters. But he used to do some really fun stuff with um, Jean uh, Jean when he was drawing him. Like you know, uh, the way his shape shifting would work did kind of look alien in uh, you know when when drawn by Mank. It was fantastic.
2: (coughs) Yeah, um, I only really knew him from JLA at this point, uh, but I did really like his work on JLA. I think there's. They've got quite a different style, but there's something about him that I do compare to Mark Pagiarillo's work. Um, mm. There's there's a sort of, I think in the way they draw their figures, I think Manx are more showing off the musculature of the characters. Like the traditional, you can see the muscles through the costume type stuff. But in terms of the way they pose their figures and things, I think there are similarities there. And obviously we know that, you know, Mark Pagiarillo's fill-in issues on JLA were stunning. I loved those. And I think I put Mank up there as well. Uh, interestingly enough, if you ever follow
1: Doug Mank on Instagram, he seems to alternate between drawing astonishing works of art and um, lifting insane amounts of weight at the gym. Oh, okay. So <laughs> clearly a fellow who understands musculature. Yeah. <laughs> Uh so yeah so I guess like in terms of context uh this happens slap bang in the middle of final crisis it's it's one of the kind of tie in issues but it is the only there are only three tie in issues which were included in the standard final crisis trade there's superman beyond 1 and 2 and then there's another morrison standalone called Sup- uh called final crisis submit featuring black lightning mm and they are the only, I want to say, story-relevant tie-ins, but this is such a weird little tale in its own, it, it, it almost feels completely
2: separated from the events of Final Crisis. Which is a, a good thing. I've read Final Crisis twice. I could not tell you what that story was about and what happened in it. Well, the
1: weirdest thing is, is that Final Crisis being ostensibly about Darkseid... Um, If you hadn't read the the Superman Beyond, which I had at the time, it might be astonishingly confusing as to why some weird vampires turn up at the end.
2: Yep. Yep. Do you know what? I think the biggest crime that I say crime, I'm I'm, I'm over-dramatising things, I know, but Final Crisis right? Batman R.I.P. Oh, Batman's dead. Oh, he's back in Final Crisis. Just is. Great. Oh, he's dead again. What? (laughs) And they
1: had, to, and that's why they had to bring Morrison back for like two issues of Batman to fill in the gaps to explain how Batman went from
2: Batman RIP to being in Final Crisis. Yeah, effectively, Morrison didn't care, killed Batman twice in the space of about two months, and then everyone's like, "Wait, hang on, <laughs> how did that happen?" <laughs> I do wonder if uh, Morrison maybe bit off
1: a bit too much with Final Crisis, maybe. Um, uh, but again, by by their own admission, in the kind of show notes, um, and we've said it before, say it again, if they'd had their full way, uh, act- actual narrative meaning would have broken down in the book intentionally <laughs> to mirror the collapse of reality. And what we're seeing is the pared down version of that, God, which already had <laughs> no
2: narrative meaning. So um, I'm being hey, but mean, some, but I, some good things came out. Final Crisis is a mess. I'm sorry. Some some good things came out of it. I, I
1: I personally think that Superman Beyond is a little gem, and I guess if it weren't for Batman RIP and Final Crisis, we wouldn't get Batman and Robin, which was a really fun little series. Yeah,
2: no, I I agree with that, and I also really like the Neil Gaiman whatever happened to the Cape Crusader, Ooh, that which came I just read. after. Yeah. Well, should we dive into it, PJ? Let's do it.
1: Uh, so again, I, I tried to ish, get some context out, but
2: like, um, it's best to just kind of like buckle in and enjoy the ride. Um, <laughs> yeah, because... I cannot give you context. I'm very sorry. As I say, I've read Final Crisis twice. Not a clue.
1: So I, I guess all you need to know is that during the midst of Final Crisis, Superman has to nip away because Clayface detonated a bomb inside the Daily Planet. And now Lois Lane is on life support. Mm. So that has effectively incapacitated Superman because everyone is like, where's Superman? Where's Superman? Because he is being Clark Kent at the bedside of his wife. Uh, so that's really where we are. And then we kind of open on this issue of Superman Beyond One. And um, uh, I guess kind of under a... a futuristic skyline uh, the sky is blood red with like clouds and a cosmic arcane machinery and a ominous figure in a big black robe is blasting golden energy from their eyes down onto Superman who writhes in agony only Superman appears to kind of be a robot
2: and like made of like red metal and his eyes are glowing yeah and the, the figure blasting the energy has a vaguely familiar design on the top of their head oh that is true that is true PJ uh, uh, an odd hairline shall yes. we say yeah I, I
1: twigged I, that one straight away I was like oh I was, okay I know where we're going here this is why we have PJ on the podcast folks he knows he knows his stuff
2: um, this is this, my favourite crisis the <laughs> <laughs> midlife um, no I don't I'm not enjoying that one <laughs>
1: Oh, my God, I want DC to release Midlife Crisis. That would be amazing. Um, and this ominous figure goes, your cosmic armor is no match for my eternal power. Tell me, Superman, what shall we engrave upon your tombstone? Hmm. So it's an invocative opening. Quite an opening. And then as we turn the page, uh, you know, we, we get this great kind of double-page spread of, like, weird robot Superman kind of in agony as this voice kind of taunts him and says, you know, can you hear it, Superman? So small, so far away, the sound of the space between now and her final heartbeat.
2: That's the sound of you failing everyone you promised to save. John, I had no idea what was happening in these first few panels. (laughs) I told told you, PJ, it's it's, it's really clear. It's... it's, uh,
1: Oh, look, PJ, we're we're transitioning to uh, from that heartbeat, the sound of a heartbeat, we
2: transition to a hospital bed where Lois Lane is on life support. Yes, yeah, and Clark Kent is sat by her bedside and he's basically saying, everyone's done everything they can, I'm sorry you're in so much pain and it's all because of me. And he he clasps her hand and kisses it and says, I'd do anything to take it all away
1: and uh, And then a voice meaningfully calls out from off paneling and says, "Anything?" Oh, no. mark. that's 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 not ominous at all. And as we turn the page, uh a, a a woman in a a striking alien-like costume, a long robe, a strange head headdress, kind of steps into the room uh, through a door which is now like a kind of there's like just like purple light through the doorway, and she says, "Clark Kent." I know you're secretly Superman. Straight down to business.
2: <laughs> it's a hook, PJ. It is. Uh, stories have been hung on less. I, I like her design. There's something very um, Kevin Eastman, like classic 80s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles about her oh. that I really appreciate. Interesting. Uh, I'm,
1: I think I was maybe not as down with that particular, crisis you were referring to, PJ? I think... Um, but I, I culturally, I think I'm aware that there might be like a slight theming to her costume, like a slight...
2: Yeah, it's the headdress that I think has the real Eastman vibe to it, combined with the vaguely familiar costume, yeah. Um, And we get the title of Superman Beyond. Yeah, and this is also where we get our credits, so writer Grant Morrison, pencils Doug Monk, inks... Christian Alamy with Rodney Ramos, Tom Nguyen, Walden Wong, and Monk, Carla Dave Barron, Letters, Steve Wands. Not giving an editor though.
1: <laughs> I was gonna make a joke about Final Crisis, but uh, <laughs> there we go. <laughs>
2: um,
1: and uh like I said, it's a hell of a hook. Yeah. Like, it's like it's like a kind of golden age kind of Superman front cover where it's like Superman, you have 12 hours to shave this pig or the earth will die, you know. <laughs> I'd, I'd buy that for 50 cents. Yeah, me too. Me too. And uh, yeah, as as we turn the page, um, you know, you, you get kind of Superman's thoughts and uh, he says that, you know, for a terrible moment, he thinks that Lois has stopped breathing. But he realises that time has stopped.
2: Yeah. Um, Lois is... Life has hit pause, and then there's a lovely line. four hundred million raindrops hang in perfect suspension, each reflecting the other, and the city and everything beyond. Morrison can be poetic when they want to, can't they i i
1: I think this is Morrison coming as close to their own personal religious epiphany, I think Because <laughs> like, like this is we're gonna see like Superman as as cosmic savior I think and the whole perfect structure of existence is ringing like a wine glass. I I, I love that to bits. Mm,
2: yeah. And Superman says, If I don't stay with my wife, she'll die. My infrared massage is all that's keeping her heart alive after the shrapnel was removed. Not even purple ray technology can help. So again, just throwing in these, these great old school DC concepts. I don't know if the infrared massage is actually something from previous issues or if that's just something morrison's made up but the purple ray obviously we've mentioned before and yes yeah it's great to just have it oh it can't help i uh
1: i also don't know i'm not a doctor pj uh i i don't know if um applying infrared in the real world where whether applying infrared radiation to a to a human an injured human heart would help it but he's superman maybe he just found a way you
2: know as as a doctor myself uh (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, and uh, this, this kind of strange figure uh, she, uh, she says uh, I know everything about you I offer you one ultimate chance to save her but we must leave this world now before it's too late uh, in the final moments of a civilization's catastrophic decline I embarked upon my desperate mission to recruit the greatest super champions of the multiverse for if our world dies all existence dies with us Hmm. And you know she's serious because it's in bold text and it's a sp- kind of spiky speech bubble. Yeah,
2: and an extreme close up of her face.
1: I mean, like, it, it, it's. Uh, I love the absurdity of a kind of Silver Age Jack Kirby demigod just walking into a hospital room and saying this kind of crap. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like that this is just another day on the job for Superman.
2: Like, the stakes might be quite high, but he's seen this kind of crap before yeah yeah and you know she keeps saying things about save us save the cosmos and if you do anything for lois we'll reward you with the universal medicine and superman's caption boxes basically say i know body language i can hear her heartbeat all that good stuff she's telling the truth uh he asks her what kind of what
1: sort of power would it take to freeze time and she she, she she makes an odd little gesture. She holds up her hand. She's got like a little device on her wrist. And she goes, um, I invented this um, oh uh, chrono-paralyzer <laughs> to freeze time here in universe designate zero. Uh, and she says, but look, um, basically when time restarts, her heart will be only once and then she will die. But good news, we'll be gone and back again before that happens so you have to come save the multiverse i'll give you the ultimate medicine you can heal your wife before she runs out of her last heartbeat but by the way we should probably uh, hurry because something called a destroyer the echo of midnight has found us have you made your decision
2: yeah and then there's just the classic clark kent opening his shirt to reveal that that amazing logo on his chest and
1: uh yeah, and then and then it's mission accepted, we're we're off into it, PJ. And um I it's an insane visual to get across in a comic, but a shift ship is now melting up through the floor of a hospital.
2: Yeah. Uh the transport which we're told is called the Ultima Thule is is on its way. And Superman asks how he can save Lois, and uh, his benefactor there says, there's a substance called Ultra Menstruum, <laughs> <laughs> which is known by another name in the germ world's bleed. Ah, oh, Morrison, you do love throwing out those weird concepts, and it's
1: brilliant. Well, well I, 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 this is where, like, I don't think any creator has been allowed such free reign Mm. to come up with their own private mythology Um, but to my knowledge this is the first instance in which concepts from the Wildstorm universe and the Authority started bleeding quote unquote Mm. into the DC universe like this is prior to the New 52 and No, is it?
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's, sca- it's Flashpoint that brought us the New 52, and that was after this.
1: Yeah, so Morrison would go on to uh, do multiversity, uh, to reestablish a DC multiverse with an actual map of the multiverse, and it's really like a, an attempt to bring together... Uh, Twenty twenty-five years of DC mythology and continuity into one cohesive whole. Um, DC had kind of acquired Wildstorm at some point, so all the Wildstorm books were kind of part of that as well. So everything from like the Source Wall to the Bleed to the um, to the Endless—it uh, was all kind of roped into this map of the multiverse, and, and this is where it began, really.
2: Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so L-
1: little John was like, I know I wasn't that little when this came out, but like John was going like, Oh my god, oh my god,
2: it's bleed, it's bleed, the authority, it's, it's it's happening. I did did DC own Wildstorm at this point, or was that still to come? I I can only say that they they surely must have, or well, they had some kind of gentleman's
1: agreement because. On the next page well, we'll get to it in a second, but you just flat out see something from the authority
2: on the next couple of pages. Yes. Fair enough. I can never remember when things happened. I think like Flashpoint was only a year after this or so, wasn't it? So Yeah. And then and then of course in the New 52, the the authority would have their own series. Yeah.
1: A week series with partial DC Universe. Yeah. It's very bizarre. Um but yeah, so um uh their ship this kind of bizarre gold and red spaceship is just kind of phasing up through the floor like it's kind of moving in a direction we can't point to and um, yeah as they kind of prepare to step inside um, uh, this lady is uh, uh, describing Ultramenstrom which is um, yeah it it is the ultimate power capable of healing or annihilation Uh, it cannot be touched or held or bottled uh, she also mentioned that there are the fifty-two universes of the Orrery, which are emerged within Bleed. So a lot of concepts being thrown around there. Yeah,
2: this was also like DC's five year obsession with the number fifty-two. <laughs> you know, after was it after uh, Infinite Crisis, the yeah. multiverse was back, fifty-two universes and you had the book fifty-two and and then countdown to final crisis which is also 52 issues 52 universes then a new 52 it was a it was an obsession a kind of a kind of madness as well because like yeah 52
1: makes sense in the concept of let's do 52 weekly comics for a year that's where the significance of the number began and ended yeah and now they're like oh no no, no. 52 is the prime number of the dc universe everything must
2: be 52 Very weird. And I think throughout it, everyone thought, well, why are there 52 universes? That doesn't make any sense. That's a weird number. Why are you doing 52 comics? What is wrong with you, DC? (laughs) Um, Well, you know,
1: they've since moved on. We've swept that under the rug. Thank Um, God. (laughs) I'm actually trying to work out. Has... uh, I know she introduces herself at some point. Has she introduced herself by name yet? No. No, no. But she has said that she comes from... The monitors that she is of the monitors of Nil, masters yes. of the Overvoid. Oh, the monitors. Mm. Oh, mm. could be anything. Oh, and PJ, it's time to put on your 3D specs because
2: uh, she mentions 4D vision. Yeah, I know, this is this is her talking to both Superman and the reader. You'll need to upgrade to 4D vision to truly comprehend what you experience.
1: Uh, and uh, Superman is momentarily confused, but she says that, well look, it's well within your superior optical range you'll most
2: likely develop it spontaneously just like the others did Hmm. and Superman says the- these others, and then she just shouts, something's wrong, cast off, weigh anchor and we see different parts of the ship where there are different Superman's analogues, anyway sort of trying to help move things around and get the ship going uh should we do a roll call? PJ? Yeah, go on then.
1: So, first up we have Overman uh who I believe is saying in German uh something like uh, can you hear the music uh blah 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 this ship is going to explode. Uh, yeah. And he is um uh what well, he says later he's not a Nazi. Uh he's very clear to point out that he's not a Nazi, but he is a Superman. Uh, from a universe in which he crash landed in the Third Reich and yeah. was raised by
2: Hitler, so very Nazi adjacent. I'm I'm assuming that is from an old Elseworlds book or something that I haven't read. It must be. I guess it's kind of like the poor the poor
1: man's Red son, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. I know. I know Morrison returns to that character in the pages of Multiversity. Okay. So that you get like a kind of origin story there. So if it wasn't based on something, then Morrison would expand it later.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, The second one is Captain Marvel, but not the Captain Marvel from the DCU, but the Captain Marvel, sort of from the original Fawcett Comics universe, where it was a bit more weird and kiddified. I love this Captain Marvel. Yes, me too. (laughs) So great.
1: Um, And and then, okay, buckle in, folks. Uh, We have Captain Adam who is an alternate universe version of Captain Atom, who was the original Charlton Comics inspiration for Dr. Manhattan. Yep. Because in the original draft proposal of Watchmen, Alan Moore was basing it on the Charlton Comics characters. For some reason, they couldn't get the rights for some kind of rights dispute, so they ended up becoming
2: original characters. So I thought DC did have the rights to those characters at that point, but DC didn't like what Alan Moore was doing to those characters because they also had plans to fold them into the main DCU. So they said no. Just (laughs) thus beginning a long history
1: of publishers not liking what Alan Moore does with their characters. (laughs) Um, But good God, PJ. I mean, like, try explaining that to anybody who's only tangentially aware of comics. Like, I, know, I know, This character is a fuck. It's insane. <laughs> uh, but yeah, things are exploding. The ship is taking off into new dimensions and Superman has upgraded to 4D vision. Which means he's got one red eye and one green eye. <laughs> God, God love comics. It's amazing. And we turn the page, PJ. And
2: what on earth do we see? I don't really know. <laughs> it's... <laughs> it's the ship sort of flying out of a panel of blood in, with the, all the panels behind it, sort of showing the hospital, Lois, some doctors, Clark himself by Lois's bedside, a clock, and then flying towards another sequence of panels and like a big metal mouth tube beak thing coming out of them and there's birds and planes and the moon and then at the top of the page there's this baleful glowing like red orb which is broken open and small silhouettes of people are tumbling out of it they're in arteries between universes i don't think i've explained that very well at all but i challenged anyone to do better i think you explained it remarkably well pj actually um it's insane but in in, in one of those really cool ways fair you so know, fair play to doug monk this this is insane and 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 I applaud him for drawing it as well as he does.
1: So making a cameo appearance on this page is the Carrier from The Authority. And the Carrier was a 50-mile-long shift ship. Shift ships being quite a major presence in the Warren Ellis titles of the time, so Planetary, The Authority, the idea that they were massive spaceships that could fly between universes. Um... That was, at the time, the first appearance of a quote-unquote shift ship in contemporary comics. It was, a, it was a wholly new concept, and the idea was that when a shift ship wasn't in any universe, it was in The Bleed, which was a weird kind of blood-red, shimmering realm, um, which had a meta meaning, because if, uh, if anyone has ever been involved in making comics, you know that you have panels on a page you have a gutter and you have the bleed which is the bit of a comic which bleeds off the edge of the cutting uh, on the on the print machine so yeah the artwork goes off into the bleed it's a printing technical term so yeah it's very meta pj and here we have the the ultimate fool flying out of what kind of looks like a comic panel to float in this weird void so yeah, PJ, it's META with a capital M-E-T and A. We're out of the comics panel and into the bleed, like kind of literally.
2: So is the thing I described as a weird mouth-beak thing, is that the ship? That's the carrier, Okay, yes. okay. see, which, I didn't know that. There we go. Which,
1: which gets John very excited. <laughs> uh, originally described, uh, designed by Brian Hitch, I believe. Uh, there was a weird... There's a bit of retconning going on here because... In one of the latter authority books, uh, a character mentions that they traveled to the primal universe where they cage baby universes to fuel carriers. so but I think Morrison expands upon this here and in multiversity to say that carry there are different there's like carriers, destroyers, uh, frigates, like there's a whole various classes of shift ship basically. Okay. <laughs> sorry, can you, can you, can you hear Jong's like private love for the yes, world mythology adorable. coming out. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, yeah, this is like um
2: yeah, I, I I yeah, I should write the field notes or something for this. <laughs> so we we go to the next page and they sort of seem to be flying into another universe. Uh Captain Adams says they're flying from Earth 13 to Earth 6. Um and then the immense death ray eye of the thing that's chasing us begins to weep and crack. So that's the big red orb that was at the top of the previous page, and now we can sort of see it's it's got, like, tentacles and eyes, and is firing a death ray. And then Ultraman is, like, on the side of it, throwing some dude and Etrigan at it. <laughs> PJ, I don't know. Like this is very, very straightforward. I mean,
1: we're we're simply watching uh, two shift ships flying between different universes, and Ultraman, who has not been seen since,
2: um, well, certainly not under Morrison's pen, uh, since Earth Two, uh, is Whoa, using. It, it was, l- no, All Star Superman had been before this, hadn't it? Was no wait, Ultraman wasn't in that? Sorry, go on. No, it's it's uh, it's uh, it's fine, uh, and uh, Ultraman is using.
1: Uh, Uh, local superheroes to bludgeon the crap out of this destroyer which is chasing them. It's very straightforward, PJ. Okay. (laughs) But Superman has now spotted Ultraman. Hey, and here's our Marvel
2: Universe cameo. Yeah. (laughs) So they fly over Earth-6. Presumably that is a reference to Earth-616. And... Yeah, there's analogues of all the Marvel heroes and villains just fighting each other in the streets. Oh, but PJ,
1: there's more. What uh, what event was happening in the Marvel Universe around
2: this time? 2008 would have been... Wait, was that Civil War? Uh, Post-Civil War. World War Hulk. Uh, Pre-World War Hulk. <laughs> Wait. Wait. No world war hulk was the one after civil war wasn't it when did the scrolls appear secret invasion oh that was the one after world war hulk right okay i got that
1: wrong okay so pj congrats uh we are viewing earth six which has established dc legally distinct anecdotes of the avengers i believe we're seeing american crusader in the bottom left uh who is captain america uh, so here we have the not-Marvel universe going through their own secret invasion. Oh, okay. See, which I'm, is why I'm not familiar
2: he, with these these versions of the characters.
1: I, I, don't, I don't think anyone is, PJ. It's very bizarre. But yeah, here we have not-Captain America punching not-Iron Man. And as he punches not-Iron Man's mask off, we see that he is a not scroll. Oh, yes.
2: So- yeah. Okay. I see. I see what we're doing. This is basically then DC Squadron <laughs> Supreme, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, I could just hear like the kind of like exhaustion in your
1: voice. <laughs> it's a lot. It is a lot. Hey, but don't worry, PJ, uh, not Hawkeye and not Iron Fist
2: are fighting back to back. Oh, that's who that's supposed to be. Yeah. I did not get that that was supposed to be Iron Fist or not Iron Fist. We're having fun, PJ. This is a fun <laughs> multiversal adventure. I am having fun, I'll give you that. But Captain Marvel shouts that they're plunging through universe after universe, they're out of control. Um, or the whole universe is. And Superman just, you know, starts heat-visioning those silhouette people that we saw before. Um,
1: Superman then, uh, I guess kind of, like, tries to catch this massive, massive, um, destroyer ship which i think is now crashing i think oh uh, i think ultraman has done so much damage to the damn thing it is yeah coming down like a rock and it just so happens to be
2: the biggest thing in the entire world yeah um, so superman's trying to stop it from crashing on this city and killing millions of people
1: yeah um i think as uh our strange host points out she says uh It's 70 miles long. If it hits the planet at this speed, the core and mantle will split. 98% of terrestrial life will die. She says there's a graveyard universe. Designate coordinate 51. So I think the idea is, if it's going to crash, let's drop it on a
2: dead world, basically. Yeah, and then she demands that Overman get her to her chamber because she's fading. Uh, Meanwhile, Captain Adam, aka
1: Doctor Manhattan, is tinkering with the ship's controls. He says it's so rare to get a challenge these days.
2: Yeah, he's entangled himself with the Ultima Thule's navigational array. He's interfacing with Earth-20. Population 2,327,694,748. So they can't crash there. Uh,
1: So we briefly see uh, the ground level in Earth-20, where we see Doctor Fate and... uh, No, sorry, Doc Fate... And uh, leader of the Black Hawks, whose name I can't mm. remember, and we get another issue featuring these characters in multiversity. It's like a very kind of pulp heroey kind of universe. Yeah, I was
2: going to say, is this like a Doc Savage version of yes. Doc Fate?
1: H- yeah, hundred percent. It's it's like uh, it's Doc Savage. Oh, sorry, Doc Fate, uh, Immortal Man, the Black Hawks, Sinestro turns up wearing a tuxedo, which nice. is kind of fun. Nice.
2: I like. Yeah, I can uh, picture
1: that. That's great. <laughs> Um Superman says he can smell cigarette smoke, newsprint and cotton candy
2: yep, yep and he thinks about all the lives that are currently in his hands trying to stop this ship from crashing and then they roll into Earth-17 which is all radioactive and has like evil radioactive dogs and people in armour
1: <laughs> I think this one predates Morrison, I think this may have been an actual Elseworlds at some point Okay, I have no idea uh, but we've just about reached Earth 51, the graveyard universe, and we briefly see Superman and Ultraman working together as they kind of throw the destroyer like down, I guess? or Yeah, onto the on ground. Paris. Yeah, so it crashes, doesn't split the mantle of Earth. I, I'm guessing they slowed it down a bit, but um,
2: yay, they did it. it didn't kill anyone because there was no one here to kill. Mm <laughs> hmm. And then Superman just starts, no sorry, Ultraman, they look so similar, starts (laughs) shouting, where are we? And uh, Captain Adam, he's like, God below, you pathetic specimen, what were you doing while we were risking our necks? And Captain Adam just calmly replies, well I was navigating us to this place where there's no one who's going to die, and you know, just leave me alone. (laughs)
1: It's worth noting that Ultraman, I think, has become even more psychotic since his last appearance.
2: Well, I think being defeated by the JLA will do that to you. And now that Superman, one of the members of the JLA, is here, one of the people who defeated him, you're like, ah, this is anger-inducing. I do like
1: Ultraman, if only because he's just so relentlessly hateful. Yes. Like, he's not an especially deep character, but I... Yeah, he's... He's just so ugly. He's he's just delightful. Um, and also a fun thing. Um, he says that uh, he doesn't have much time for Captain Adam because uh, he can see that there he's, he's full of drugs. There are drugs coursing through his veins.
2: And <laughs> um, Superman steps in and just says, look, we've all been recruited from different frequencies, he says, so that's different realities. We're all experiencing a worldwide crisis back home, but we need to work together. And Ultraman points out, well, didn't she promise us all the same ultimate treasure? Ultimate means one. There's one man, one treasure. We are rivals for this prize. uh, It's
1: a perfect summation of his mindset, I think.
2: Does ultimate mean one? I mean,
1: or just like... It's a loose interpretation.
2: Yeah, because now I'm thinking about the ultimate... Line of Marvel comics was like one Spider-Man, one X-Men. <laughs> it uh, was very much meant to be the definitive
1: version of those characters, PJ. Yeah, at that time, and we've and we've never we've never rebooted it since. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, like uh, we we learned that Ultraman just cannot conceive of collaboration in any way. Well, we knew um, that about him, didn't we? And uh, we also see uh, Overman who has helped uh, their strange host to her chambers. Uh, she appears be hooked up to some cables. And um, she's telling him that the glowing spark that powers this craft is her heart. Uh, and she says, there is only one way to replenish that engine, Overman. Dot, dot, dot. And Overman goes, gross krypton. <laughs> and
2: who knows what that means? Well, you know, there's no way of knowing. No way of knowing. My wife speaks German, but she's not in at the moment, so I can't check with her. <laughs> and we cut back to the Supermans having their discussion, and Ultraman is just shouting, we're all being manipulated, you lily-livered do can't see it, but it's obvious to me. And then he just looks at Superman and says, and as for you, I promised I'd get even with you, Remember? I would just like to
1: point out a weird uh, colouring error, which has crept in over the last couple of pages. Because mm. uh, Ultraman was effectively, and always has been, wearing a wongsy. Yeah, and now his his hands are out. Maybe, like, he burnt his gloves off, perhaps. Yeah, let's go with that. Let's go with that. And, uh, yeah, so he's, like, squaring off against uh, our Superman. Of course, um... As Superman points out, there's a bit of a problem here. They can't touch each other because they are matter and antimatter. <laughs> now, I don't 100% know how that works because presumably the floor is made of matter. But, uh, no, the, the, there the floor we go. is made of between-university stuff. Oh, you're right, PJ. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, this is also Morrison doing a slight retconning of their own rules here because, you know, in Earth 2, we had just, you know,. The 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 anti universe where good no, was evil. It
2: was antimatter, but the way they travelled between the universes converted it so that they could touch things. I re- I remember that being a thing. Sure. Yes.
1: I guess my point is, I guess when Morrison was coming up with that, that was the first reintroduction of the CSA in continuity at the time, and it wasn't part of a multiverse. So yeah. now, yeah. So basically now. Um, Uh, you know, Ultraman has gone from being the mirror image universe to being one of 52 universes. Yes. Where everyone's made of antimatter.
2: Yeah. And I like how Captain Marvel steps between them and says, come on, take it easy. And this is where Superman says, you annihilate us both and you value your own hide way too much for that. And there's just this panel of Ultraman going... (laughs) 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 <laughs> 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 and then he turns on Captain Marvel And says one day I'll find my way to your perfect Sunlit puffball of a world marvel And CM just goes I've seen off bigger uglier bullies than you And I believe he has
1: <laughs> It's just so nice that Captain Marvel is in no way Phased at all by mm. Ultraman Yeah yeah. I also, I also like that in a scene Which features three Versions of Superman Um
2: that Doug Mank can make Captain Marvel look different. Yes. Yeah, same. Same. And I skill. feel like he's, he's slightly broader and he's got a, a younger looking face. And yeah, it's really good.
1: Yeah, his tactics, talent. Um, we also learn more about Overman, uh, guilt ridden champion of Earth 10, where Nazis won the Second World War. Uh, who, um, I do like the idea that this ship seems to be piloted using a giant
2: harp. I think that's kind of fun. Yes. Yeah, and he can't... Overman's saying he can't hear the music anymore. And then he says something else in German. Something I think I'm going to say all these universes, something about a frequencies and vibrations is my guess. We uh, also says, say that on in his universe, English
1: is a dead language, which he struggles to speak. And, uh, and then we get uh, Air Force Captain Alan Adam, the quantum Superman of Earth-4. In a Kdenksk universe where the laws of physics are different.
2: Yeah, and he says that they've run out of multiverse, they're now off the charts, where they've arrived is nowhere. They're about as lost as it's possible for anyone to be.
1: Uh, if you would like to read a true, truly fascinating little oddity, I would, I would recommend reading the Not Watchmen issue of Multiversity. Where Morrison does the alternate universe version of Watchmen, featuring alternate universe versions of the original Charlton Comics
2: characters. Okay, <laughs> it
1: is thunderingly weird, uh, and it is, it, it, yeah, I, 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 it's fascinating. It's very bizarre. Fair enough. Am I mean, you see this character again.
2: Okay, uh, okay, I, I, I may check that out. Um.
1: Hey, but for one piece of obscure Morrison trivia to another, um, who here has read Animal Man? Uh, I've read some of it. I haven't read the whole run, if I'm being honest. Well, everybody, welcome to Limbo from Morrison's seminal work on Animal Man in the 80s. Because
2: Morrison has complete free reign to do whatever they damn well please yeah, in the DC much. universe. Pretty much. So the, the supermen leave the ship and they are greeted by merry man who's like a dressed in a jester outfit i'm guessing these characters are all actual characters what is one of them ace the bat hound yes okay and then it looks like ram man from masters of the universe but that can't be right i can't
1: remember that character's name but he's one of a team of uh construction worker themed villains right right DC's Wrecking Crew, um, then. DC's Wrecking Crew, basically. Uh, so, yeah, so in uh, in Animal Man, the Vertigo title by Morrison, um, uh, Buddy Buddy Baker, mm. Animal Man, eventually makes his way to Limbo, which is where comic book characters that nobody is currently writing about who are out of continuity go. Hmm. <laughs> So these are all the heroes that DC erased from existence, basically.
2: <coughs> well, I can't really name anyone on this page, I'm going to be honest. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I think that's probably why they got erased. <laughs> but Superman says, is, is this what happens to us when we die? Meta! <laughs> it's about as meta as you can get, basically. Yeah, and according to the rules of Limbo, everyone gets the exact same shabby treatment... So, Merryman's title is worthless. There are no heroes, and nothing ever happens. It's a massive trash pile, basically a yeah. massive junkyard.
1: And uh, uh, yeah, the heroes kind of spread out. We we see that Captain Adam can can change his size at will. He's become very large now, as he expects for inspects da- for damage on the ship. Mm-hmm. And um, we see Overman and Captain Marvel kind of picking up scraps from from the junkyard.
2: Yeah, um Captain Marvel finds a shard from the Rock of Eternity that was broken off in his climactic battle with, but he can't remember who the battle was with. And yeah, apparently if they stay in limbo too long, they're going to start losing their memories. And what's worse, they will
1: also disappear from everyone else's memories. So if they stay here, it will we will lose Superman PJ. Superman will no longer be published if he stays here. I don't want to lose Superman. I like Superman. Um, yeah, so as Merryman Lim- uh, says, there are no stories here, so nothing can happen. Uh, but Superman's like, well, what's that over there then? He's like, well, that's the Library of Limbo. But it only has one book and no one can read it, so it's
2: pointless. <laughs> and... Yeah, then Man says, oh, sorry about your your wife, by the way, but sometimes you just have to accept that maybe you're wasting your time, but we don't have time, so you can't actually waste <laughs> time here. And Superman's like, I'm going in the library now. Uh, we also learn uh
1: <laughs> bizarre little joke, that the ultimate book was written by a monkey, uh, as in uh, a thousand typewriters, a thousand years, works blah, of blah, Shakespeare, blah. <laughs> complete works of Shakespeare, but blursk of times. Um... <laughs> And we learn that the ultimate book is a book with an infinite number of pages, all occupying the same space. Ergo, it is a single piece of
2: paper that weighs infinity. Because it contains every book possible that has ever and will ever be published, and even some that weren't. Uh, I have to ask PJ, in the next panel, mm. Is in your
1: version, is there a weird lettering error? In Captain Marvel's bubble, uh, I can't see one. Because so basically, Superman and Captain Marvel approach this infinite piece of paper, which is floating in like a, a sphere of energy and glowing. And so basically, Superman and their theory is: Hang on a minute. If this book contains every book that ever existed, wouldn't it also contain the? <laughs> the user manual for our spaceship, which would allow us to repair it. Uh, and uh, Captain Marvel says, "In my version, PJ, he says, which means it could read every page of the book at once and download manual oh, its
0: yeah. own
2: repair." Yep, mine does that too.
0: Typo, <laughs> or
2: is that a sign that Captain Marvel is forgetting words? Oh, maybe so, PJ. It could be. This
1: was Final Crisis related where narrative was breaking down. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, what they're trying to say is that their ship's internal memory is infinite. So they could just download
2: the book into it and it could fix itself, basically. Yeah, even though it's... Because it is infinite, it's incredibly heavy. But Superman says, wait a second, you're very strong, Captain Marvel. You could help me lift it. And then they lift it together. And as they're
1: lifting it, the pages start kind of stuttering and flickering and they hear an incredible noise and then i i I guess something cracks maybe reality cracks and we get a vision pj we Mm. get a vision
2: yeah so we're in a white void with a small like red dot in the distance and previously there was monitor only and then and then it sort of closes in and it's on I don't really know how to describe this. It's a weird thing. It's like a kind of uh, uh,
1: glass. well, originally it's like a kind of like a mark, like a kind of black, red, ugly mark in the whiteness. And then um, Monitor, the monitor presence, uh, it makes like a glass cage to mm. contain it.
2: Yeah. Uh yeah. I think. Yeah. But then there's a flaw found at the heart of monitor perfection. So yeah, it's a concept to contain the flaw, and then they the monitor examines it, but it has terif- terrifying unforeseen complexities and contradictions. Yes. And so basically,
1: PJ, going back to the meta with a capital M E T and A. The monitor mind, this overmind, this colossal abstract infinite intelligence, as Superman refers to it, uh, is the blank page. And then, so literally, we're going meta here. The biggest, the thing bigger than a story is the blank page it's written on. And then, corruption entered the page when somebody started telling stories on it. So. Mm the flaw at the heart of Monitor Perfection was narrative, universes, stories kind of creeping in. Uh, and that's what, what Monitor was infected by, basically, is, is universes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's a lot for Captain Marvel to take in. He's saying this is too immense to imagine. How can something be bigger than universes? And Superman says, well, it's, it's an abstract infinite intelligence, biggest life form I've ever encountered, a conscious living void with our entire multiverse growing inside it. It's a comic publisher.
1: Meta. It's, <laughs> everything is meta, PJ. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Merry Man pops in and says, there's actually only one story, that's what I heard, but luckily it's got all the others in it. And... Um, I must have missed something, PJ, because Superman now seems to know that their host's name is Zillow Vala. Well, maybe she said it between panels. Maybe she did. I guess we we might have just not been paying attention. Uh, But, yeah, as Superman and Captain Marvel try to wrestle this damn thing, they keep getting visions of, I guess, the first story, which is the story of Monitor.
2: Yeah, and then Monitor extends a probe designed to blend with its surroundings the probe secures contact with something it has never encountered before inside the floor a chaotic froth of events and essentially we're now seeing crisis on infinite earths as the heroes battle the shadow demons and and the monitor looms over it all and it does it it actually mentions like a description of crisis on infinite earth lives deaths heroes villains lovers you know that's what Crisis was about, the original Crisis, and that's a phrase or a paraphrasing something that was used to uh, promote Crisis on Infinite Earths. <laughs> Meta,
1: PJ. So, um, so yeah, so PJ, I, 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 you may not have realised it at the time, but the entire events of Crisis on Infinite Earths were the Monitor extending a probe, which you know to adapt to its local surroundings looked decided to look like a weird Jack Kirby cosmic space god called The Monitor. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Uh, And we get this lovely thing where it says, uh, because The Monitor had no, had never encountered the concept of a story before, it had no defences. So, the damage a story could do to an immense awareness without limits or definition, it, it was devastating. So, Infected by story, the monitor withdrew, blinded, and was split in two. And this kind of flaw in creation was sealed into what they refer to as the orrery, which is like a kind of crazy cool glass, like, cathedral, like, cylinder thing, Mm. inside of which floats lots of multiple earths,
2: basically. Yeah. Um... And the blinded split into I'm guessing that's a reference to the monitor and the anti monitor in crisis uh <laughs> this is the, yeah, this is crazy stuff,
1: and uh um I guess its last act was to make a statue uh a a giant statue next to the orary, kind of to memorialize its adventures, so basically it has made a giant. Metallic statue of Superman. Uh, and the narrative says, until all that remains of that ill fated first contact is a vast, uncanny form. The mystery of a silent sentinel haunts Monitor, infects the immaculate intelligence with questions, speculations, pestilential, crawling narratives. Legend takes root, and story, like contagion, spreads unchecked. Yep. PJ speaking for everyone there Um, But yeah PJ Monitor has been infected by story And now Monitor has a story of its own
2: Yeah And it becomes the history of a once Mighty race of hyper gods Direct descendants of the first immense Unknowable Monitor And these then are monitors Who look a lot like the Monitor but they're not the Monitor, they're descendants of the Monitor, and they're sort of a lot smaller than the big Superman statue, um, and the story is now an epic elegy for a doomed civilization declining from splendor to squalor. The final crisis, oh, they said the name of the story. Woo!
1: <laughs> Someone at the back of the uh, of the audience is having a great time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so because Monitor is now infected with a story, uh, they, it now thinks that there have been a race of monikers who have existed since the dawn of time uh they are fascinated by the Superman statue. they have no idea what it is, but they 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 figure it can only be a doomsday machine designed to defend them against the ultimate enemy so um beyond that we we just get like a little more of the the moniker's fake backstory their race um they don't know what the Helvis statue is, but um, they think it was made by Dax Novu, uh, who was the first son of Monitor and bravest of the science gogs. <laughs> so take it with a pinch of salt, this is just what they believe. Uh, and apparently, this Dax Novu wrestled an angel of contamination and sealed it away inside a giant vault which has like a kind of clock-like symbol of glyphs on the outside, which seems to be ticking away. Uh, It's a lot to take in.
2: Yeah, and is getting splattered with blood as well. There's like a... I don't know, is it some kind of blood rain falling on them? It's ominous, PJ. Yeah. Yeah, and... Lots of ominous language that I kind of love as well. Who gave his life to chain the beast in darkness? Who knew the day of Holocaust would come again? Deep within the sepulchre of Mandrak, there is a restless stirring in the plague pit. The prime eater of life senses its freedom. An unstoppable countdown to cosmic revelation has begun. It's evocative. (laughs) Yeah, so all you need to take away from it is
1: there's a race of hypergogs who were kind of wheeled into existence because a greater infinite consciousness became infected with story uh they have their own legend about a kind of brilliant radiant sun and a dark uh evil being who is chained and now appears to be waking up and this are we having fun yet like <laughs> this, is, this is some big cosmic
2: nonsense going on and then the infinite book sort of explodes with energy blasting superman and captain marvel back and forces Captain Marvel to transform back into Billy Batson. Yeah. Um, Merry Man is a little
1: perturbed because he says, hang on a minute, this is limbo. Nothing's supposed to happen here. You can't just start doing stuff. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Again, I love that. (laughs) uh, (laughs) And um, yeah, like uh, uh, Superman tries to wake up Billy. He says, you know, you need to say your magic word and change back to Captain Marvel. Uh, But Billy can't remember
2: they can't remember the word. He's lost it. Yep, and he's, he's lost the wisdom of Solomon. He says the thing most despised will save the most beloved. Ultimate good is ultimate evil. What did you say my name was? It's all falling apart, PJ. It's
1: really all is. going wrong. And uh, as Superman carries Billy out, he says he'll be back for the book. Uh, Merry Man continues to whine and says no you don't understand, now everyone realises that something can happen They'll—the the first thing they'll do is kill me for being so useless so uh, he's not happy about this
2: Yeah, he says oh I could, I could come back with you, I have a real talent for gritty drama that no one's ever thought to exploit and Superman because he's Superman says look if we can rescue anyone we will but Captain Marvel's been injured Captain Adam, you know I mean you've got to help me I may need everyone's help to get that book back here.
1: And we see that Captain Adam is losing focus, basically. He's talking to himself. He's he's kind of mumbling. And um, we realise that uh, he is using drugs to dampen his quantum brain to acceptable levels where he can interact with mere humans. And because those drugs are wearing off, he's now transcending to a higher state of being, which is great for him. Uh, not very useful when in a pinch. Uh, He's not being massively helpful right now.
2: Yeah, but what he's saying very much evokes some of the Dr. Manhattan speeches from Watchmen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And also Superman is... um, He says he can feel his own wits
2: failing. They are becoming ineffectual,
1: basically. They're losing what makes them great.
2: Yeah, so Superman needs to act. He bursts into Zillow Valor's chamber... Asking who sent the destroyer afterwards, who is Mandrak? And he finds that she is a vampire currently feeding off Overman. <laughs> I didn't see it coming. <laughs> um
1: all the clues were there, PJ. Um uh and she says the dark monitor has risen. Mandrak wakes, and she has blood trickling down her chin, uh, she has big sharp teeth, um red eyes. And, uh, Red eyes, oh, and, but apparently uh, Overman, uh, you know, she took his life's blood to save us all, basically.
2: Yeah, So he, he promised he'd give anything in his quest to find his beloved cousin, so he's given his blood.
1: Uh, she goes on about the various types of, of carrier sh- shift ships, so we have carriers, destroyers, tankers and explorers. Vast in scale from your perspective, these machines are mere nanotechnology to the monitors. They are the eyes of Mandrak. And uh, someone calls for Superman. I think it's Captain Adam. Yeah. And
2: Villo... No, Zillow Valla. <laughs> <laughs> Zillow says Said all is lost that they've been found. And Captain Adam says the sky just shattered. And then Ultraman is stood before them, clutching the infinite book, saying he has the proof. Evil triumphs. There's nothing you can do about it. Evil wins in the end. As the massive ship... Thing that was chasing them before appears in the sky behind him, and apparently we can't miss Superman Beyond two coming soon. Well, 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 PJ, that is
1: the end of the issue. That is the end of the issue. It, I'm it
2: smiling is like an I'm
1: smiling like an idiot here. What 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 did you think, PJ?
2: So, uh, my brain hurts. Um, <laughs> No, I I have a lot of thoughts. I like it. I do like it. I'm going to set my stall out there straight off, Superman Beyond, issue one. Anyway, I haven't read issue two yet, but I I did really like it. I think, I think it it sort of helped me solidify one of my issues with Morrison as a writer. You know, obviously I love a lot of Morrison's work. I you know we we wouldn't be doing this podcast if I didn't. JLA is one of my favorite comics of all time. But I think where Morrison occasionally comes undone for me is I find that sometimes they have these massive ideas that I love. They're they're amazing, these big, clever concepts and ideas that they want to play with. But sometimes they don't necessarily have the space or the narrative hook to play with them, and they just Mm -hmm. sort of throw them all in and see what happens. And I think there is a little bit of that in Superman Beyond, but I think there's just enough of a narrative here to make it vaguely coherent and for the some of the ideas to stick on and some of the ideas are so wonderful that you just can't help but go along with it and go that's really cool I love it and just the meta nature of the story is fascinating but there are narrative challenges in it and I think all of you know final crisis as a whole goes much too far down that route but I mm. think superman beyond is just on the limit of it from what I've read so far, so I do really like it, but I do have caveats to that.
1: <laughs> no, it's, it's a it's a very it's very uh, it's a very odd situation where like I love this, I I love this issue, and I love part two as well. I think it's a really nice, bizarre condensation of all of Morrison's weirdest ideas. Um, I freely admit that it breaks just about every rule of conventional storytelling Mm. and I don't think that just about any writer could get away with it I think Morrison is given leeway because of their incredible track record Yeah, Um, I don't think anyone else could do this I think an editor would probably drag them across coals you know to say you know whip this into something more cohesive but like as you say like I think Morrison's throwing, like, a million and one ideas out, like, and they're just about in control of the wheel here. Yes. I th- I, yeah, and I, you're right about saying, like, this is kind of, like, the limit because Final Crisis, the rest of it, just feels messy.
2: Yeah, I think we've talked about how Morrison will throw these big ideas in as just random tiny background pieces before they do it in JLA. We, we've talked about things like, you know, uh, the... Was it the the If Machine in The Woman of Tomorrow... Uh, his, oh god! Yes. just for that one part story whereas anyone else that would have been like a six parter the villain Mangatron who turns up as something Wonder Woman and Man have just defeated at the beginning of an issue, things like that where anyone else would say well I'm going to use that to tell a story itself, Morrison's like that's just an idea I'm going to stick in there and I think you reach a point as their career goes on where they're trying to put maybe too many ideas in one place mm. Let's say, Superman Beyond I don't think quite crosses that line, I, I, I do really like what I have just read um, there is a lot going on but I, those the ideas are so clever in this book and the whole meta thing it's trying to do I, I, I absolutely love uh, but really? yeah, yeah I think it's it's what I have realised is my relationship to Grant Morrison's works and why there are I think when when they work for me they work so well and I love them so much and when they don't work boy do they not work
1: I know, it's really, it's really funny because, like, particularly at this point in their career, Morrison started going bigger, like, like really, like, tasking themselves with rewriting the multiverse and having a level of creative freedom, which I don't think anyone else had at DC. Um, but, like, you know, you have this, you have multiversity. It's interesting that I like those books, for their big ambitious concepts, you know the, the scope of it. Knowing that somebody is attempting this and and you know succeeding because they're they're bringing things together is is quite remarkable. Mm. But pair you know compare this to any moment in All Star Superman, like compare this to any moment in Earth Two. You know both two books that have some quite high concept stuff in them. But they're so much more pared down, you know. And and it's interesting. That, like as much as I love and admire the the big high concept Morrison stuff, I, I don't. Th- I, it's it's for heartfelt quieter moments, like bits of Earth Two, uh, bits of I mean, God, so many moments in All Star Superman. Even just that one page from the end of American Dreams, where Clark and Bruce stand on a rooftop and have the briefest of conversations. Like, it's the small moments which are going to stick. Which, yeah. you know... It, yeah. I, I'm glad that Morrison has so many ideas. I do like it when they choose to focus on just one or two.
2: Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So I am I am really curious to read the second issue. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Which I never thought I'd say about a comic that had the words Final Crisis in the title. <laughs> but there we are. <laughs> It is,
1: um, there are some great, I, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking ahead of, to them now. There are some wonderful moments in, in the next issue. Like, and again, it's the little kind of heartfelt moments. There are moments of genuine emotion, which I think about a lot and I'm excited to visit them. Um, but yeah, like, um, here's a question. Does it feel to you, honest, honest question, does, does this feel like the same Superman
2: from the pages of JLA? No. Ah, Interesting. No, I, I think, honestly, after... I don't think it's long after JLA finishes, really. I feel like the DC universe sort of moves forward a little bit. Essentially, I think after the 90s writers on Superman, the ones who were there for most of the decade, Juergens, Simonson, Bogdanoff, uh, all that, that crew, they leave the book and new writers come in. I think, like, Jeff Loeb... Um, Who else wrote it? I cannot remember now. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, you get the new set of writers come in and the books go in slightly different directions. And I feel like there is a slight change to Superman's character. Nothing major, but it does feel more like that Superman to me, like the one post Our Worlds at War, effectively. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Like, um, the Superman moments in the rest of Final Crisis. You know, it, it, it's hard to kind of get back into that mindset and go like, oh, it's Morrison with the JLA again. Yeah. Like, like nothing has changed. Like, things have changed. Of course they will have changed. Like, it's been nearly 10 years. Like, you know, Morrison's a different person. These characters are different characters. But I don't know. I think Morrison's still got that kind of spark, I think. I think he they write Superman with a nobility that I think few people kind of grasp. But I think in the pages of Superman Beyond, Superman comes a lot closer to being like my Superman than he does in Final Crisis. Yeah. And I think there seems to be a general consensus that out of everything that came out of Final Crisis, Superman Beyond is like an odd little gem kind of sitting in the middle of it.
2: Yeah, I think that there are two books I know people sort of, recommended and that's Superman Beyond and then I think the the Legion of Superheroes tie-in, which oh, I, I did read and enjoy back in the day. I haven't revisited it. Um, I don't own it anymore either, but I do remember that being pretty good. But yeah, everything else about Final Crisis I can just leave.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's got to be a tough one, hasn't it? Because it's like I, I feel for whoever's on the editorial team because you can't hold Morrison back and you almost shouldn't because you just get this Bizarreness, this utter bizarreness out out of them. Mm. But like, you've got to be thinking, like, good god, like, w- what's a new reader going to think of this? Yeah. Like, what's anybody who's interested in the movies going to think of this? Like, it is. I, I love this. It's almost like it's tailor made for me. But I know that like I'm not the the main audience and probably shouldn't be. So I don't. I don't know. I'm very conflicted about it.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. It's a weird one for sure. <laughs> hey, and there's there's more to come. And I uh, I'd say I am excited for that weirdness to come. I really am. Well well, um, do you think then in this instance that we've said everything there is to be said about this first issue of Superman Beyond? I believe so, yeah. I think so. My let's say I loved it, but it does hurt my head. A part of that is because I'm full disclosure folks, I've got a little cold at the moment. It's very mild. It's making me just feel a bit tired, which means I've suffered like no one has ever suffered before. So... <laughs>
1: the, your dedication to your art, PJ, is, is phenomenal. Exactly. Um, I guess all, all I would say at this point is that, like, uh, I feel like a madman because I actually... I can trace the direct line from, I don't know, the Wildstorm universe to this comic and onwards into multiversity. And yep. it is amazing to me that Morrison got away with it, basically. <laughs> yep. That Morrison could do this. Oh, God, and from there, even into Morrison's run on Green Lantern. Because it continues, PJ. Like, <laughs> that. I, no other creator
2: is allowed to do this. Yeah, that there's these characters, some of these characters continue on into Green Lantern. It's bizarre. I haven't read any of, their Greenland, and if I'm being honest, I, I haven't heard anything that's made me want to particularly. So,
1: yeah, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily for me, but very bizarre. <laughs> well, tell you what, PJ, if we if we have exhausted this
2: avenue of pleasure, maybe I should thank
1: Gav Mitchell for drawing our incredible cover artwork,
2: and I'll thank uh, Elliot Red for composing and performing our amazing theme tune. Justice. Is there anything you'd like to shout about while you have this moment, this uh, PJ, this platform? yes uh safe space the youtube show that i do with vince hunt uh, gav mitchell lizzie boyle and jim bamfield where we play the mothership rpg system is also now a podcast uh the first series is currently being made available on any podcast app you care to visit and so if you want to experience the show without having to actually look at me that is the way <laughs> to go hell <Hey-o. laughs> <laughs>
1: um god do i do i have anything to shout about um Right. I've very, 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 very nearly finished the alpha build of the After I think, RPG sourcebook. Uh, we're at 25,000 words, uh, and that's before we get into the lore section, but it should almost be playable. So I look forward to sharing that with uh, the Kickstarter backers for a 10-year anniversary, hopefully, by the end of the weekend, if not next week. That so sounds who, exciting. Uh, very exciting. And then it'll probably be broken as hell, but it will at least be playable. Hmm. <laughs> and then and then the refining will begin. So that'll be exciting. I'll look forward to uh, that. I'm one of hey, those big yeah. starter backers. I'm excited. And even if you weren't PJ, you'd 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 get the advanced copy, I assure you. I better. <laughs> uh well, in which case, PJ, on that wonderful notes, uh, thank you for coming into the multiverse with me. Uh could you please see us off in your own unique fashion?
2: Oh, uh, There are multiversal versions of John and PJ who are going to come and present the next episode with us, and it's going to be a meta episode about how we're doing a podcast within a podcast. I've lost myself already.